Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Carew. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. And to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? Welcome back to a new week on Out of the Bubble podcast. How are we all doing? I'm sat at home and it's freezing, freezing cold, but it's glorious blue sky out there. And what a difference some blue sky makes. So I hope that you are all keeping well. So today's a really important conversation. Today we are talking about money. In particular, how good are you at planning for the future and knowing what's ahead of you when it comes down to your finances? For some reason, talking about money, particularly for women, still seems like it's a taboo subject. So I'm delighted to be joined by Sarah Siddons. Sarah is the founder of Siddons & Co Financial Planning. She started a completely new um, business and career back in 2008, had a massive career shift, and she now helps and empowers women to take back control because knowledge is power when it comes to going through finances and financial planning, particularly when you throw divorce into the mix. I know all too well I got divorced at 40 and when I when I got to that point I was basically financially invisible because I'd taken a back seat and not take responsibility of my own future planning and I wish I'd had somebody like Sarah in my corner back then but knowledge is power and it's a really really important conversation so grab a coffee and enjoy. So good morning Sarah how are you today? I'm very well thank you yes I'm good. I'm really looking forward to this conversation because I think it's a conversation that lots of women avoid far too often. And I know that it's something that you're really passionate about. Before we get started, um, finding out more about the work that you do and why you are so passionate about it. The first guest I ask all my the same questions to is, if you could describe yourself in three words, what would they be and why? Okay, well, uh, I put a bit of thought to this. Because, oh, good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's not often you get asked asked that question. Um, I guess I'd say um, resilient. And I hope that, you know, further down the conversation, you'll kind of grasp why, because of the various things that have happened over the years. Um, determined. I think, you know, when you set off in life down a different path, and you don't quite know where that's going to lead you. You've got to be pretty determined to make it work. Um, and I'd like to think empathetic. Um, I don't really see how you could end up in a role where you're advising people if you don't have that, you know, natural empathy um, and that enjoyment of, of, of talking to people and understanding people. So I think they're my three words. I love those and, and knowing your story as I do and I can't wait to get to get more into that later. Um, I think they're perfect words. Really good. Thank you for sharing. So before we get into the nitty gritty of fan, financial planning, that was not your kind of natural habitat, was it? You did have a real career pivot, really. Um, was it 2008 when this all happened? Yes. Yeah. So I started out, um, I think like a lot of people, I started out after I did a politics degree at university. And then I started out uh, just falling into a role, really, because I'd had some work experience. And I went to work in London immediately after university in um, advertising and marketing, worked in a London agency. Then I worked client side for a while. And then I moved up to Leeds for personal reasons and worked agency side here, here as well. 
And um, I just fell out of love with the industry and kind of realised that, you know, in my early 30s, that if I was going to sort of settle down and have a family, really that environment wasn't conducive to having um, a a sort of more relaxed home life um, because the hours were very long and it was very demanding. And you can't really have two people, I think, in a household where you've both got unsociable working hours. So something had to give. Oh, and what drew you to to the financial planning side of things? Had you always had an interest in that? I mean, you are talking to somebody here that took three yeah. years to get their O-level maths, by the way. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. not a natural, for me personally, no. it wouldn't be a natural choice. <laughs> no. Well, I think it's a bit of a misnomer that you have to be good at maths to do this job. Obviously, yeah. you have to be, you know, reasonably good in the sense of being able to, to sort of work with maths with percentages and tax and that kind of thing. But really what drew me to it was that I'd always my my father's very commercial um I'd always had commercial roles in his working life and he brought myself and my sister up to always plan financially and and to um to put money to one side and think about the future and so I'd always taken advice myself so from moving up to Leeds when I was 25 I had always had some form of financial advisor in my life and when I got to sort of my, um, I think it was about 32 or three, um, when I started to think, do you know what, I, I need to find something different to do. And I really, really wanted to work for myself. I wanted to create something on my own um, that, that, you know, I could basically test myself to see whether I had the ability to sort of run a business and create something and be successful rather than I was working for somebody else. And um, I think I was about, I was 33 when I asked my own financial advisor, who just happened, you know, he happened to be a financial advisor at St. James's Place. And I just said, I think I'd be quite good at your job. And he said to me, so do I. (laughs) So basically he passed my CV into the organisation. And I just, it was a, a serendipitous moment really where, the, they just so happened to be testing the waters around creating their own academy where they, they would take people who had commercial experience but didn't necessarily have the financial qualifications to um, be a, a, a financial advisor. And, and they basically were happy to sort of send us back to school, get us through our exams and then bring us into their advice partnerships, the St. James's Place Partnership. So I went through all of the um, interviews with them and they offered me a a place on the first academy. And then I found out I was pregnant with my first child. Timing. (laughs) I know, I know. So I had to to, uh, give back words initially, but they kept in touch with me. And then I got a phone call again when my son Archie was about four months old saying to me, look, we really, really want you to join us please, will you consider coming down to London in April, at which point Archie was nearly six months old, and and, and do the course with us, which would take you through to September. And and, and it, was a, it was a big ask for me because, you know, he was really little and he was only just starting to have some tasty days at nursery. But I thought, do you know what, if I do this, if I focus on this for the next six months... I can change all of our lives because I can be that more flexible mum who, you know, can define my own working pattern, actually. So I went for it. Um, And it was tough. You know, I was up and down to London most weeks. Uh, I sat an exam every two weeks for 
three months, I think it was. Um, So there's a lot of studying and, um, you know, equally I was at home juggling with art because I was only in London one or two days a week. And then in August, I had to go down for the full month, Monday to Friday. So I literally would put him to bed on a Sunday night and not see him again till Saturday morning. Um, But I did it. I did it. And I I came out the other end of it. And um, when I remember sitting there thinking, crikey, now all I've got to do is build a practice. (laughs) No (laughs) clients, no money, no clients, you know. (laughs) It's really what I mean. I think people will be listening to this thinking, gosh, she's brave. But you you strike me as someone that's always had a lot of self-belief in yourself. Were there wobbles along the way or did you just know, did something just feel instinctively right for you? I, I think... Because actually, I, I I have a lot more self-belief now than I, I did back then. And I think one of the things that pushed me out of my old career was that uh, that I did lack a bit of self-belief, actually. Um, uh, when we used to pitch for new business, I'd often be the person that might step back and let a colleague take charge because I was afraid of failing. Um, and I think looking back, almost I was afraid of failing for others when it was me on my own I only had myself to blame and I only had myself to be accountable to so it almost became a bit easier to take the risks um and I'm not a natural risk taker um but I think I just I don't know why I still can't explain why I just had that self-belief that I can do this Mm. um and it was really really stressful the first year or two um, you know, trying to build a client base from nowhere, just from literally speaking to your, you know, your network, your your acquaintances, friends. Um, but I I just kept going, kept going. I mean, I had the most horrific eczema for about six months on oh. and off with the stress. But at 12 months in, it got better. Two years in, it got even better. And People have always said to me that when you create a business from scratch, you know, it takes three years really for that business to find its feet properly and and, and you feel as though you're, you're on a roll. Yeah. And I'd, I'd now looking back really, really agree with that. And you did, you know, it strikes me from the outside that it's a very male orientated industry. Is that still the case? Or how, how were you kind of received by the industry as a newbie? Yeah, um, I think when I first joined the Leeds partnership, I'd suggest there was literally a handful of female partners. Um, Interestingly, though, those that uh, stayed in the partnership tend to be really successful. And I think because women have usually that natural empathy, interested in others, wants to talk to people and understand them, that works really, really well in this industry because um, I was just saying to someone yesterday, actually, you know, you move. When you when you work in the industry I did before, it's a commercial relationship. So what you're doing is you're building rapport with somebody, but there's always the business objectives between you. Yeah. Um, whereas what I do is, is completely personal. So whilst you still obviously have to have a professional relationship with somebody, because you're their trusted advisor, actually money sits at the heart of everybody's well-being really in life. And and I think 
you know, being trusted to look after somebody's finances is a very personal thing yeah. on the part of the client. So, um, so yeah, I think being a female in this industry can be of great benefit. And actually, I grew up as a bit, I was a bit of a tomboy growing up. I love male company. I have fantastic colleagues within SJP. And, um, and they've been really, really supportive of me, actually. Yes. I mean, I remember wobbling into my diploma exams, pregnant with my second child. So basically, I three years into building the practice, I had my daughter, Olivia. And at that time, we were going through a thing called RDR. So that was a change in the industry, which meant that every advisor to stay working in the industry had to be at least diploma qualified. So we were all sent back to school, if you like. And in 2010 and 11, we were all in classrooms getting our diploma exams, um, which, you know, now, with hindsight for me, I ended up, I think I took six the first time, five the second set with the diploma. So it was, it was another tough call, really, doing that. But, yeah, they were great with me, and they always have been super mm. supportive. Um, but you're right, it is a male-dominated industry, and I still find that quite fascinating when you consider, you know, how it's so well suited actually to the to a working mother in particular, this this job. Do you think it's back to that same same old kind of taboo around the conversation of money, isn't it? Women don't seem as comfortable to talk about money and finances as men, and I, and I still can't work out why. But I know conversation. I don't have conversations with my friends, for instance, about money and from planning, and it's just not something we ever talk about. And I, and I can hear my husband on the phone quite often talking about different things that are going on in the financial world. Why is it, do you think, that there is still this taboo around talking about women, you know, money for women? Um, I think that I think that a lot of the women I know, you're right, they, they don't really talk about, they don't focus on, on, on the financial side of their lives. I'm not sure if a little bit, it's almost seen as being a little bit, self-centered that actually what a lot of women tend to do is they focus on everyone else around them they focus on the family unit and it isn't actually so much these days that it's because women don't get involved in the family finances because you know I find there's as many people walk through this door as couples where the woman is the um is the person that manages the household finances as it is the man now yeah Um, I think that what women don't do is they don't plan ahead for themselves. Um, They don't sit down in that more strategic way that, you know, to be fair, a lot of men don't either. That's why they come in and need financial advice. That's why they need you. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But um, I think they're more likely to do that and they perhaps think more in those black and white terms and and women, I think, if anything, they're more likely to, to do things like put money away for the children or think about, you know, a holiday fund or yeah. things like that, as opposed to have I got a pension? You know, do I know what would happen if something happened to my spouse? Yeah. Do I know what would happen if something happened to my marriage or my relationship? I just think they don't think in those terms. And I, I really, I don't know why. Maybe it's just a cultural thing, the way we're brought up. I don't know. Yeah, it's interesting. But I know that one of your specialities and something you're really passionate about is helping women, particularly going through divorces. Um, because and there's something I'd not thought about. I've been through a divorce and I wish I'd met you <laughs> 12 years ago because your immediate thought is, right, I need a lawyer. I need a solicitor. I need to go and sort that out. 
And actually what I really would have been better doing is seeing somebody like yourself alongside a lawyer because it's the financial side that's the most important of planning ahead. So you you specialise in helping women through that, but what caused your passion for that, for that particular area? Well, I, I knew for a while that I, um, my marriage wasn't going to work long term. So I, I married before I had my children and, um, you know, stayed in that marriage for a long time. I think it was um, about 14 years in the end. And um, and I knew a couple of years beforehand that I was probably going to have to, you know, be brave and do something about it. And I think like a lot of women, you put everyone first. You don't want to upset the children's lives. You don't want to break up the family unit. You don't want to fail. I, I definitely saw it as a personal failure, yeah. which looking back now, absolutely it wasn't a failure. I did everything in my power to make that marriage work. Um, and it just didn't. Mm. So what I did, and you could argue it's because of my job or maybe it's just because that's how my brain's wired and I do just naturally have that more commercial view of, of the world. But I, I sat down with um, a friend who's also a family, uh, well, a divorce lawyer, and, and I said to her, look, I'm, I don't think this marriage is going to last. I need to know what I need to know. Um, because I do not want this to be a financial disaster for me. Mm. Um, and I was desperate at the time to keep the status quo for the children. I really, really wanted to, if I could afford to do it, buy him out of the family home. Mm. You know, I'd found the perfect home. I really, I know everyone says it's just bricks and mortar, but to me it wasn't. It was, It was kind of one of my main goals of, starting the business and being financially successful myself was to, to put those walls around me that almost in some ways reminded me of my own childhood yeah you know the family home I grew up in as a child so that was really important to me anyway you know sitting down with her she sort of said to me look there's some really easy things to think about here you know theoretically the starting point for any divorce is 50 50 the fact that you happen to have more than him means that you're probably going to be the one that has to start compromising and moving things around. So you need liquidity in your finances. Mm. And what I've been doing, I've been plowing money into paying down the mortgage on the house. I've been putting money into my pension. And all those things are illiquid because your pension, you can't access to the 55 at the moment. Your house, obviously, you can't get the money out of it unless you can borrow it or you can you can sell the property and I didn't want to do either really so I stopped doing some of those things a, a, a while before I called time on the marriage just knowing that the likelihood was that it wasn't going to succeed and so when I did finally um, I mean I was one of those people that in lockdown just thought enough is enough so I had a lockdown divorce and I think I, I kind of tackled it um, as I would uh, 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 my job yeah. and I literally I, I set out my stall this is what I want to achieve and, and six months later we were divorced yeah. with a financial consent order in place um, but I was I think I've described it when I was asked on another forum um, that's specifically about divorce I was asked to sort of to create almost like an analogy of how I felt at that time. And I said it was like 
I set the trainer of the station. So I ended the marriage and I spoke to a divorce lawyer. Now, I've been on the back of all of that with clients, but obviously I've never started that process myself. Mm. So whilst I knew the sort of nuts and bolts of it, I I think experiencing it personally is a completely different thing. Um, so I set the train out of the station. I contacted the lawyer and said, right, I want to start divorce proceedings. What do I do? And then what I found was over a number of weeks, it was like I was getting further and further through the carriages to the back of the train and everyone else was driving this blooming train and I had no control whatsoever. I thought, hang on a minute, hang on a minute. This, is, this has got to stop because all I could see ahead of me was, you know, us not making decisions, it getting really fractious, mm. spending lots of money on legal fees. And I just thought, this isn't necessary. I need to wrestle some control back here. And I suppose one of the things that surprised me, and I don't mean it to be critical of my colleagues in the law, but one of the things that surprised me was how little um, knowledge there was around the need for financial planning around a divorce because yeah. it's all very well saying well you're entitled to this that and the other but what does that mean yeah nobody sat me down and kind of went through that process and they said right this is what you need to plan for for the future mm-hmm. this is the minimum that you need to get by and this is yeah. how we could do it nobody nobody sat me down and did that and I Okay, yeah, but now yeah. I'm like, why didn't nobody, why did I not? But I wasn't in the in the right frame of mind to do that. And it was kind of, you're bombarded by all this information if you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, almost, it feels a bit a bit like, well, for me, what happened was, um, I actually sort of called a halt on the legal process and, and, and went down a slightly different avenue and, and went by mediation. Mm. And, and a mediator sat down with us and, you know, we both revealed our financial positions. And then she basically acted as a negotiator between the two of us. And over two or three sessions, we thrashed out what we were both prepared to agree to as a, as a, as a financial settlement between us. And then that went to the lawyer, my lawyer, to draft as a consent order. And then his lawyer looked over it. And we once we would both agreed it, off it went to court. And that was that. Yeah. Um, but I had already done my own planning in the background. And, and if I meet someone now who is in the first stages of, of divorcing and, and or are thinking of divorcing, the kind of process I go through with them is we get them to fill in an income and expenditure form so they understand, you know, what income they're used to having in their household, yeah. what they're used to spending and what they spend it on. And then we look at what asset base they've got, what asset base their soon-to-be ex-spouse has got. And then we do a cash flow report for them. So we do a cash flow report that shows them with what they say they need to spend, how much money they're going to need for the rest of their life. Yeah. Because what that also does is it predicts forward to when they retire. Because, of course, if you're particularly for women who are more, I would suggest, more vulnerable, where they're um, not working at the same level anymore as their partner. So they're reliant on a partner's income. Um, It's not always easy or possible to get back to the place you might have been in when you both met. And I meet a lot of women where 
they started out in a very similar level in business or whatever profession they were in with their partner. But because one of them had to had to sort of compromise to to make for a happy family life, often that's the woman, not always these days, but mm. often that's the woman. And and there, there they are, 20 years down the track or 15 years down the track. And and whether they've ended the marriage for their own reasons or whether a partner's just just launched it on them that they're not happy and they're off. And all of a sudden there's this massive deficit in the future finances. So if you're going to argue about what you need uh, constructively with lawyers or a mediator or a judge, you've got to show them evidence, I think, of why you need that money, not just because you want it, but because you need it. Um, and our cash flow modelling that we do now for clients that gives them the evidence, um, you know. And I've even had I've even had one divorce where a barrister used it in court to show why a client needed a greater share of her hus- ex husband's pension because she had so little pension of her own that if he didn't get that extra share for her she would have had she would have been poor in retirement literally you know on the bread line yeah um there might be there might be women listening to this that are in the kind of the, the same position but that have had like you've just said about they've had divorce thrust on them so they weren't prepared for this so they hadn't done the pre-planning they hadn't been able to take any action beforehand how do they then navigate that? Because that, that's, you know, that it was my choice to end my marriage. But even when I, when I decided to do that, I was financially invisible because he had been the major breadwinner. He was extremely wealthy. I had naively kind of taken a backseat from the finances, probably because maths is, scares the hell out of me. So I chose to ignore it. And I hold my hand up to that. And that's my responsibility. But when it came to the crunch, I was financially invisible. And it was like starting all over again. So what advice do you give to women that are in that sudden situation of, you know, shit, what do I do now? How can I make this work for me? Well, I'd say because I had that exact uh, example in November um, when a lady contacted me through an existing client. And we still we basically I mean, she, she was in pieces because she trusted in this relationship. She'd allowed her husband to like you say you know take over being the manager of their money make plans for them both for the future you know she was involved in his business but only by name in the end of it because they had three children or they've got three children and um and and yeah you could tell in her voice she was just utterly distraught but also scared Mm. um so the first thing I did was I got her to fill in an expenditure form. And then we did um, a void report for her because chatting to her, you know, I can get garner enough information about someone's situation to sort of see what level of, you know, income and assets they've got. So we did the cash flow report and we sent that to her. And I mean, it, you know, it didn't make for good reading. Um, mm. It showed a lot of... Um, read put it this way on her chart i.e that she's going to run out of money yeah but i i i think just even if it's bad news having the information having some substantiation for what you think you already know you need it empowers you a bit more 
Um, so even in that situation where, you know, she can't do anything about the fact that he's left her, she can't do anything about the fact that they're going to be divorcing, but she can now have informed conversations with whoever she chooses to represent her, and they in turn can have um, informed conversations with, you know, whoever he chooses to represent him. And I think that's where I do not, I do not still understand why any divorce lawyer would not embrace the idea of working with a financial planner because it must make their job easier too. Yeah, it seems like the perfect marriage for the t- for the for the mm-hmm. two to work together on this, and, and I can imagine would save a lot of time and money. <laughs> yeah, 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 and and I think also just it's the same whenever with money. If you've got knowledge, you've got power. Yes, yeah, and that's really empowering if you're in a in a vulnerable position, isn't yeah. it? Which which yeah. as a woman, when you go through this, or a man, you are when you go through big changes. Yeah. And, you know, there's lots of women that I talk to in midlife that are going through divorce. It seems to be a kind of a stage where people reassess life. And yeah. some people like myself almost have to start again financially. It's never too late, is it, to make plans for the future or whatever your age. Obviously, if you've not had a pension in your 20s and 30s, you can still do it later in life, can't you? Yeah, you can. And I mean, you know... It- it's always in my in my job, I have to be honest with people and say, you know, it's harder because, yeah. you know, one of the most powerful forces in, in the universe is compound, you know, compound interest, compound growth. So the sooner, the sooner you start doing these things, the better. And I would say to anyone who's kind of watching this or listening to this, and particularly women with daughters of their own, just encourage them from a very early age to consider always putting away a proportion of their money or their income because the sooner you start the better the outcome will be but yeah it's never too late and let's face it um if you just bury your head in the sand you're going to just make a bad problem even worse yeah um doing even something about it is better than nothing and you know what what we do is we're not there to judge we're not there to say to somebody, oh, if only you'd done this, you know, yeah. and, you know, that's not part of the conversation because when somebody comes to see us, what's done is done. Yeah. All we can do is help them move forward. Um, and so when I look at somebody's situation, um, you know, sometimes you do have to have difficult conversations, say, well, you might have to downsize mm-hmm. or, you know, you might have to reduce your um, lifestyle or change your lifestyle in retirement. But even simple things like getting people to do a state pension forecast, which most people have never done. Yeah. You know, if if I meet people in their late 40s or in their 50s and I get them to do a state pension forecast, they at least know whether they're on track to get a full state pension then. And that that's not a small amount of money anymore. Mm. I mean, I think after the after the increases that will go on to state pension um, early well, by the end of this tax year, the start of the new tax year, it's over £10,000 a year. Yeah. So you've, if you've got that as a potential backstop, that could be what actually pays the bills in retirement. Yeah. And anything else that you do, you know, creates the lifestyle. So, you know, so any action, some action is better than the um, proverbial head in the bucket of sand approach yeah and what's clear from our conversation is knowledge is power not knowledge is empowering and it's that's it's where you know things changes can happen from that point on isn't it yeah absolutely yeah yeah 
And do you know what else I love about you? I was reading um, some, some stuff about you and I love the fact that you really do practice what you preach when it comes to empowering women because you also sponsor a women's football team as well. I just wanted to get that in because I love oh, that yeah. you do that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's brilliant. Becoming, it's becoming so popular, isn't it? You know, I've yeah. got lots of friends whose little girls are having a great time uh, now playing football. Um, even got, I've got a friend whose little girl's under contract with York. So, yeah, mm. you know. It's, it's, yeah, whatever I can do to make, um, well, I, I just want, like, my little girl's now nearly 11, um, she's 11, uh, nearly leaving senior school, uh, junior school, rather, and um, anything I can do to make her understand that she can do whatever she wants in this life, you know, I was really lucky, I was, I'm one of two girls, um, got a younger sister, and my father said he always wanted daughters, and he brought us up not to believe that we were any different or that we could achieve any less just because we happened to be born female. Yeah. And 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 I just I just want my daughter to sort of grow up thinking, well, my mum did it, so I can do it. Yeah. And and not to be ever held back just because she happened to be born a girl. I love that. It's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Sarah. Thank you so much. How can people come and find you? Because I'm sure there'll be people listening here that are thinking, gosh, I need to, I'm in this position. I need to take some action. How can people come yeah. find you? Yeah, well, the best thing to do probably is to look up my business, which is Siddons and Co. Financial Planning. Um, I don't know, some people do know, some people don't, but Sarah Siddons was also a famous actress in the 1700s. So you can get some quite interesting results when you put Sarah Siddons into, into Google. But I'm there. Um, my my email address, my number, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Facebook as Siddons & Co. Financial Planning. So Brilliant. I'll share all those links Sarah. on the show notes as well. Yeah, so yeah. But yeah, that's the best way to find me. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. It's been really insightful. And I'm sure there'll be people that can totally relate to, to what they're going through right now and, and has made them have some light bulb moments. So thank you. Yeah. My last question that I ask all my guests, if you were to pay yourself one compliment, what would it be? Well, I think that that the, I'm going to get a bit emotional now. I think that the 35-year-old Sarah would actually be really proud of what the about to turn 50-year-old Sarah has achieved for herself. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I love that. And you're not the first person to get emotional. Isn't it funny how when we stop and think about praising yeah. ourselves, it, it's, it seems unnatural for women to do and it brings up all sorts of emotions. So thank you yeah, for no, sharing that. You're right, you're right. And so before we go, turning 50, how does that feel? Oh, well, I'm not sure <laughs> really. Sorry, I've just realised the sun's in my uh, in my eyes here. Let me turn around a bit. Oh, it's no, a gorgeous sun now. Um. How does it feel? I still feel about 25 inside. Yeah. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to be 50, but hey yo. Have you got exciting plans? Have you got some things planned in the diary? Yes, yeah, yeah. So I've got uh, I've got a Vietnamese chef coming to cook for us at the weekend. Oh, amazing. And then I'm off, I'm off with my partner. So new partner, very happy. And we're off to the Lake District for a couple of days. Uh, for a bit of R&R and &R and uh, big party with friends on Friday night so I'm, I'm definitely celebrating it brilliant make the most of it have a fabulous year and thank you so much for joining me today it's been thank a pleasure you. thanks Rachel thanks Sarah okay so many takeaway messages in that podcast this week and lots to think about 
Right from the start, I loved Sarah's story of transitioning and completely having that U-turn in career and her self-belief. And I think the word courage springs to mind because it takes a lot of guts. It takes courage to have that self-belief, follow your gut instinct that you know that a different career path is going to suit you. Her, her actual motto is she believed she could, so she did. And I, and I, and I love that. And I think that it's, it's never too late to listen to your gut instinct and make changes, whatever direction that might lead you into, because Sarah has you know, shown us how she completely turned her career around and is thriving now and doing some, and, it, and is where she should be. She's helping lots of other women and helping them rise up too. Another point I thought was really interesting is the fact that it's never too late to take control. And no matter how bad you think your financial position might be, Knowledge is power and avoiding it and sticking your head in the sand is not going to work. You can get to a point where you know exactly where you stand and take action. And I think that's the word, isn't it? Knowledge and action to to empower women to, to make sure that we are on the right track and we can plan for our future. I also think the point about making sure we pass it down the generation. I've got two two older daughters and it's certainly conversations that I have with them regularly about making sure that they plan from a young age for their future so that we don't have to rely on anybody else and that we know we're in control of our destiny and our future when it comes to finances and money. Let's lift this taboo and make sure that we are talking about it in a much more positive, actionable way because it's a really important subject. So if that is you and you are in the middle of going through a divorce in particular, I know from personal experience how rocky that can be and you haven't already seen a financial planner then perhaps as well as going to see a lawyer, perhaps you should go and do that too, because I think the work, the two work really well together. And, I, and like Sarah says, I don't understand why it's not actually just a given that that's what we're, both, we're offered both really, because we need to, to have that conversation with a financial planner to make sure that we know where we are in the future, as well as getting all the legal stuff sorted. So lots to think about. I'll be back in a fortnight, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous. Thank you for listening to the Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group, where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey, supporting and inspiring one another. You can also come and say hello on Instagram at Rachel Ron. I'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022. If you're loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous.